morning. It's great to be with you on this Easter morning. Thank you, team, for leading us. Uh, it's great to be with you and get to worship and sing and lift up the name of our Savior and King Jesus Christ along with you. Uh, as I was looking around, uh, just the, the auditorium as we were singing and praising, there's a lot of you that I don't know, and so this is the weird thing. I'm Dan. I'm one of the pastors from the East Campus. Don't know all of you. Don't know which of you are visitors and which of you are just folks from West who I haven't met yet, but it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to read as we begin our time from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just a few short verses. Uh, to be honest with you, we'll, we'll be here in 1 Corinthians 15, but we're kind of going big picture for, for the sermon this morning, so we're going to go all over the place. But uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a good place to start, I think. Be reading from verses 20 through 26. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Would you pray with me? Father, we come in the name and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Spirit, be with us. Speak to our hearts your words. King Jesus, be glorified and honored, we pray in your name. Amen. From the very beginning, back to the very dawn of time, first few chapters of your Bible in Genesis, the stakes were clear. God's word to Adam and Eve was sure and solid. Speaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the command was, was explicit. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam and Eve saw the fruit. They saw that it, it looked good to the eyes. It was good for food and desirous to make them wise. And so they took from the fruit and they ate. And from that moment on, that choice, that decision, we, humanity, we've been dying ever since. Ever since, from that moment. God kept his word. There were consequences. There were curses handed down. 
We know that the spiritual death, a death of the heart, it took place immediately from, from that moment, right? Because we, we keep reading and we, we see the story. And instantly, where there was not there before, there is guilt. There's, there's shame. There's blaming there's hiding and running from God where before there was open fellowship and walking in the garden together. Now we're kicked out of the garden and barred from reentry. The cherubim, the flaming sword. So the spiritual death, God kept his promise. It hits immediately and we know the physical death is to come soon after. We know ultimately God holds Adam, the man, responsible. It's one man, one day, one moment, one decision. They were only given one command, don't eat from that tree. Adam didn't keep it. We, humanity, didn't keep it. And we've been plunged into death and ruin ever since, from that day on. We see it walked out in the, the pages of our Bible and throughout human history. Paul, looking back in Romans, trying to sum up what's, what's going on, the curse and its effects, and it hits every man, right? Doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, Paul sums it up simply the wages of sin, the wages of sin is death. He says in Romans 5, which is kind of another passage I've got, it's, it's a parallel passage to those verses we read from 1 Corinthians 15 here. Romans chapter 5, Paul goes on to say that death then goes, it moves, it spreads to all men because all sin. He, he sums up the time, even when there wasn't explicit commands from, from the tree to the old covenant law with Moses, he sums it up with two horrible words, death reigns. Death reigned. And death still reigns. In a sense, today. We live in a culture that doesn't like to talk about death or think about death. We sweep it under the rug. We pretend it's not there. Live in the moment. But friends, whether we think about it or not, death is still an issue. The preacher in Ecclesiastes complains bitterly that it doesn't matter if you're a righteous man or a wise man or a fool, one fate awaits us all. Death. Death reigns. And the rule of death extends not just to humanity. It's encompassing the entire creation, right? That groans 
and suffers under the weight of the curse that has been subjected to futility and slavery to corruption. Oh, it's hit everything. Death reigns. This was our course, humanity's course, that we chose. And there's nothing you or I could do about it. And in the, the saddest sense, right, it's, it's just kind of normal. Everybody dies. Death reigns. But it's not normal. It was not the way the creation was first when it was good when it was very good. This is this state of death reigning. It's the curse. It's the wages of sin is death. And it's horrible. Can, can you feel the weight of death this morning? We've had in, in my family, we've had two funerals just in the last few months. Both Zoom funerals, Jenny's grandma, my aunt. Death should grab us and get our attention. This is where you're probably thinking, Dan, did you miss the memo? Have you lost the plot? Aren't we here for Easter and to celebrate? And oh, yes, friends, I have not lost the plot. In fact, let's turn the corner right now because that was Adam and that was our head and that was one day. But friends, another day came roughly 2,000 years ago. And another man, another human being stepped up to the plate Paul calls him the second Adam, Jesus, the Nazarene, the one of whom we have been singing our hearts out. And he came to flip the script, friends. The first Adam brought sin and death, and the second Adam came to bring life, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 15. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, all who are his. One brought death and ruin. One came to bring life. This is why he came. This is why he came. He, he said it himself during his life before he went to the cross, admittedly a bit cryptic at times, tear down this temple, tear it down. Oh, I will rebuild it in three days. Uh, he had done miracle and, and sign and wonder in their midst, and they still wanted more from him when they kept asking the, the Jewish leaders, give us another sign. Jesus says, you only get one more. As, jo as Jonah was in the belly of a fish, 
for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. And come forth. So this is Jesus' own words of, of recounting why he came, what he came to do, predicting it beforehand. This is the, the accounts of the gospel writers. Think of it, four of them. All each seeing a slightly different angle and, and writing from a different perspective, but all four, th these are eyewitness accounts, all of them agreeing something supernatural happened on that morning 2,000 years ago. The angels proclaimed it. They saw it with their own eyes. In fact, to be more specific, they saw him. They saw Jesus who was dead on the cross three days before, and now they're looking at him in the face, and he's right in front of them, and he is alive. The earth shook, the stone rolled away, and Jesus, with a new resurrection body, never to die again, walked out of that tomb, and he never went back. That's the difference between him and Lazarus and others who, who were raised as well, right? Lazarus still isn't around. He died a second time. Jesus, uh-uh, not going back there. I love how he, in a sense, reintroduces himself to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. John hears this voice, like a loud trumpet from behind him, and he turns, and whom does he see? But he sees the risen Lord Jesus, and he falls on his face as a dead man before him. And Jesus walks up, puts his right hand on him, and he says these words, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. Is there a better name? The living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Death could not hold him. It has no further claim on him. He holds the keys and the rights and the authority. So Jesus himself predicted it. The gospel writers, all four, confirming it. This is the consistent message of the early church a few verses earlier in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And, and hear this, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom, the time of this writing, Paul says, most of whom remain to this day. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. 
And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Appeared, 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 appeared. We get to Acts, and we always talk about how we, we get this instant mega church that's, that's born right after Peter's first sermon. Why do, why do we have this incredible response of thousands coming? And I know the right answer, right? It's, it's Pentecost. It's the Holy Spirit. But 500 people saw him at one time, right? And they're all going, he was dead, and now he's alive. And some of them touched him, and they ate with him, and he was real, and he was right there in front of them. That'll get your attention, friends. This is the consistent message of the early church throughout the entire book of Acts. Already alluded to that first sermon by Peter, Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. He's appealing to what they've already seen. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him from the, God raised him again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. There it is again, the, the one man bringing death reigns Jesus bringing an end to the agony of death because death had no power over him. It was impossible for it to hold or contain him. And Peter and John go on and preach similar message in Solomon's portico, and Paul goes and preaches his very first, at least recorded, sermon that we have on his first missionary journey in Pisidian Antioch, and he gets up in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he just hammers Old Testament prophecy pointing to the resurrection again and again and again. God has raised him from the dead. Or we go to, to Acts 17, the famous passage, right? The Areopagus at Athens. And he alludes to their prophets and the unknown God. And where does he wrap the sermon up? Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Through a man. He's fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness human, through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. This is the message. Jesus himself predicted the gospels corroborate the early church, preached it again and again and again. Jesus rose from that tomb. And they get mocked, and they get hammered for it. They get persecuted. So what's, what's this all about? What's the point? 
It's almost as if, friends, we could summarize the entire scope of human history, the entire scope of the, the human story with two men. The first Adam and the second Adam. And the first Adam, death reigned, sin reigned, and we feel the weight of that, and it's gone on for thousands and thousands of years, but Easter, friends, is about the dawning of a new day and a new age with a new Adam and a new creation, a new story for humanity. Whereas Adam held, held sway for so long, Romans 5 alludes to the, the superabundance of the second Adam and what he has done. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as, as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what Easter is about. All the old enemies that have haunted us for centuries Millennium, generation after generation after generation, they are being undone. They have been defeated and they will be defeated because Jesus has triumphed and he has won the decisive blow. And so that death is being swallowed up by what he has accomplished. And we live in this weird age now. We, we live in the overlap of these, these two things, right? Because people still die. I've already said that. Death is still running around. So is sin. So is Satan the enemy of our souls. But back to 1 Corinthians 15 again, Jesus himself, as we saw, he is the first fruits, the very best, the very first of the harvest they would take and they would dedicate it to God. And as they dedicated it to God, it was also kind of this, this confirmation that he's gonna take care of us. He's gonna bring the rest of the harvest in. Jesus, the first fruits, the rest will come. So we live in this age where Jesus has won. And yet we wait for Jesus to finally win. That's what it says there, that he is ruling and reigning until all his enemies will come under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is, is death. So we live in this, this tension, the already, the not yet but even as I was thinking about those, those two funerals, there is something crazy about the funerals of a believer in Jesus Christ. Isn't there? 
We as a, as a body, even in the last year, 2020, it had several funerals of believers. And yet here we are in this moment staring death in the face, and yet by faith we say, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus has won and defeated. And what he has started, the first fruits, he will keep his promises and finish. Easter morning was the moment the world had been waiting for, for all time. God's proof. Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. He has won and he will win. Period. Let Satan do what he wants. For us, just to wrap it up quickly, a few practical thoughts. Number one, Believer, beloved, if you have Christ, if he is yours and you belong to him, the first thing I want to say to you this morning is, number one, your future is secure. Sin, death, Satan, they can't touch it. Colossians 2 speaks of Jesus disarming the rulers and, and authorities. It's as if Satan's running around with a big gun pointing it at the heads of believers, but guess what? There's no ammo left. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your future is secure. Even death itself Jesus himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Our inheritance, believer, reserved, undefiled, imperishable, will not fade away. 1 Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Did you hear that? Hope is alive because Jesus is alive. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. doesn't matter. In a sense, let Satan do his worst. As we go through the hard things of life, and I lost my notes here. I'm trying to bring them back up here. Can't touch it. Believer, your future is secure. 
always wondered what it felt like to be like a trust fund baby. Do you know what I mean? One of those few people born with an inheritance to, to billions. What would that be like? That would be really weird. But in a sense, we will inherit the entire world for all eternity. And Satan can't touch it. Let him bring it. Let him do his worst. Sin, no longer master over us. Perfect love casts out fear so that as we look to that day, the day of judgment when the one man will judge the earth, we're not afraid. Because we know as we sung, Jesus paid it all. Friends, your future is secure. Your today, we have a living hope. We have already even entered into new resurrection life with him. Paul says in Romans 6 and Colossians 3 that we have been raised so the old man has been crucified so that sin shall no longer be master over you. We have a hope today. We have a future that is secure and untouchable. Because Jesus is alive. Because the tomb is empty. He's not going back. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Easter morning. Work in our hearts. Grant us living hope. Help us to see, Jesus, what you have accomplished, what you have done. The second Adam, changing everything for us. Help us to trust you. Help us now, even as we turn Back to song, the only right response, King Jesus, is to fall on our face and worship you, our risen King. So again, we do that. We love you. We thank you. We give you praise.